Jesus, we thank you for the amazing, gracious, merciful gift you gave us. We thank you for the gift of life. We thank you that we can live this life as we surrender all to you with living hope. And it's a hope that is a firm foundation that the world cannot take or shake away from us because it's set by you. And it's a hope that reminds us that our destiny is heaven with you forever, ruling and reigning. No more evil, no more sin, no more sickness, no more heartache, and no more sorrow. And so I pray that as we dive into your word, you would make that more of a reality in our thinking and that our hearts would be transported to the place of our ultimate destiny, which is heaven with you forever. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. Thank you for coming this morning. When you came out of your house, that bright light you saw, that's called sun. You haven't seen that for a while, and uh, I'm thankful that you are seeing it now. There's a person who's very significant in church history, and his name is Dietrich Bonhoeffer. And Dietrich Bonhoeffer is a pastor, theologian, scholar, martyr, and rescuer. Uh, He was born in the early 1900s in Germany, and he uh, came into his 30s and 40s right around the time that the Adolf Hitler regime was taking off and gaining momentum. And uh, he was uh, a pastor at the time, and he, he knew that the government was taking over seminaries, and so he created his own underground seminary to train pastors, knowing that what was coming is going to be really, really difficult. He was always kind of thinking ahead of his time. Uh, there's a lot that's written about him. He also, because of his passion to know Christ and to live that out in the world, uh, was responsible for trying to rescue several Jewish people and have them sent outside of the country of Germany so that their lives could be spared from the Holocaust that was coming. Because of that act, he paid dearly. He was imprisoned. And when he was put in prison after four years, he was transported to Flossenburg concentration camp where he died on April 9, 1945, two weeks before United States Allied Forces went into that concentration camp and ended the horrors that were happening there. And when he went into the gallows at the time of his execution, he knew what we were just singing about. He knew that Jesus Christ was his living hope, and as he went into the gallows, he, it was said that he made this comment as his last words. He said, for many, this is the end, but for me, it's the beginning of life. You see, he knew where he was going. He knew the God he served. There's a lot that is written about his life, and I I love reading all of it. It's an amazing uh, read when you read about who he was as a person and things he believed in. Um, But one of the things they did is all of his letters that he wrote um, that that he wrote home were compiled in a book called Letters from Prison. And in these letters from prison, if you read it, one of the things that you see that he always asks for two things for his family and loved ones to bring bring to him in jail. He always asks for two things. He asks, uh, first of all, uh, for smokes. He wants his cigarettes. You know, this is 1940, so a little different day and age. And then he asks for his tweed jacket, 
his tweed suit jacket to be brought to him. And I often thought and would think, why on earth would he want his tweed jacket with him in prison? Was he, you know, is there a dinner party, job interview? I mean, why would you want a suit jacket with you in prison? As I read more and thought about it, I think the reason he wanted that jacket is because it reminded him of home. It probably reminded him of a, a day of freedom. It probably transported his mind back to something that was greater than what he was experiencing at the moment. And in our text today, the Apostle Paul kind of does the same thing using the analogy of a garment of clothing. And he says to us that in the similar way as Christians, when we put clothing on, it reminds us of things. It reminds us of home. It reminds us of, in one sense, a good home, and in one sense, a not-so-good home, a home that's a little too familiar to us that shouldn't be. And here's what I mean by that. When Before you give your life to Jesus Christ, you are living in what Paul would call the old self. You're living in the uh, pride, the arrogance, the lying, the lust, the materialism, the, the things that cause you to live of this world, not the way that God intended us to live as human beings created by him. And in one regard, after you become a Christian... It's easy to put on that old self. It's kind of like going into your drawer and pulling out that old crew neck sweatshirt that is just really comfortable and you love to wear and you put it on. And, and sometimes the sin of this world and our old ways are like a default to us that when pressure hits or temptation hits, we are so easily pulled back to the old self, to the old home, to this type of garment we wear that is corrupted but yet still calls us and pulls us to those places. We're not immune from the callings of the old life. And then Paul talks about another garment he wants us to put on. But this is a garment that's of a different home. This is a garment of a heavenly home. This is the garment that we wear that when we leave our old way of life and we're encountered with the person of Jesus Christ and he sets us free and forgives us and gives us mercy and love and grace, now he calls us to live out that love in this obedience to him, this worship to him. And as we do that and we move into that place, we're reminded that this isn't our home, but we're reminded of our heavenly home. In fact, when we live in the power of the gospel of Jesus Christ, it should make us homesick. As Christians, our home is in heaven. Our home is not of this world. Our home is something greater to come. And, and when we gather and we, we look at God's word and we encounter the person of Jesus and worship and prayer, it should make us homesick. We should long for things of home and want to be clothed in things of home. We're in a series called The Amazing Christian and where we're looking at the book of Ephesians. And I'm just uh, grateful and thankful that um, we're in this series. I hope it's been... Um, helpful to you. I hope it's been something that you've been growing in and learning from. I know I've grown in it as well. Um, and I want us to take a look at Ephesians again. I encourage you to open your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 4. We're going to be looking in uh, verses 17 to 24. If you're new to the Bible, I'd encourage you to just go towards the back. You'll go past Romans, 1 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians, Galatians. You'll hit Ephesians. I'll be on page 1038 in the Sanctuary Bible. So uh, if you're using that Bible there, please uh, go to 1038 and we will go from there. Um, Paul's going to open 
with what I call the clothing of a corrupt culture. He's going to open with what I call the clothing of a corrupt culture. Let's look at verses 17 to 19. It says, Therefore, I say this and testify in the Lord. You should no longer live as the Gentiles live. In the futility of their thoughts, they are darkened in their understanding, excluded from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them and because of the hardness of their hearts. They became callous and gave themselves over to promiscuity for the practice of every kind of impurity with a desire for more and more. Paul paints this picture of the way of life the Gentiles lived. When he says, don't live the way the Gentiles live, he's referring to their way of life. He's referring to their um, constant pull, this spiraling down, as he says. The, it's a downward spiral we see in this passage that pastor and theologian John Stott says is a picture of how we live apart from Christ. It's a picture of life affected by this broken world, and it pulls us down slower and slower and slower. In this spiral, not all apart from God get down to the last rung, but it's a great portrait of the ways of the world. It's a great portrait of how we live apart from Christ. And he has four key words or three key words um, that we want to look at. The first one is hardness. Look at the end of verse 18. It says, They are darkened in their understanding, excluded from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them and because of the hardness of their heart. He says it's because of the hardness of their heart they're in this place. That word for hardness is the Greek word porosis. It refers to a stone that is harder than marble. It's basically saying that this is a heart of stone. It's the same word that was used to describe the people of Jesus' day in Mark 3 when Jesus performed a miracle and these people wanted to come and kill him. It says their hearts were this porosis. They were this heart of stone. It describes an inability or an unwillingness to respond to God's truth. It's an inability or an unwillingness to take what God says in this word and humble yourself to the point where you understand it. It's this hardness that comes. And it gets, starts off from there, this spiral, and then it continues to go down into another rung. And that other rung is darkness. Look at verse 18. It says they were darkened in their understanding This darkness leads to an exclusion from God. So we move beyond hardness and we move into this darkness, which is this confusion. There's a confusion that comes after you make your heart hardened to God's word and you don't look at it. Then all of a sudden a confusion about the reality of life is the next step that comes from that. Isaiah 5.20 said it this way, that woe to those who call evil good and call good evil. Woe to those who substitute darkness for light and light for darkness. You see, there's this confusion that comes in where you can't discern anymore what is right or wrong because you don't care, because your heart has been hardened, so you move from hardened into darkness. Many of the horrors we see in our world today from mass shootings to you fill in the blank is because people get to this next level. From hardness, they go into darkness. 
where there's no discerning of what is right or wrong. They've worn this corrupt clothing of our culture, and it's determined their course of action. The next rung on the spiral is reckless. Look at verse 19. They became callous and gave themselves over to promiscuity. For the practice of every kind of impurity with a desire for more and more. See, this is talking about the fact that they've lost all sense of sensitivity. They've lost all sense of what hurts even. One of the great scholars and theologians of the book of Ephesians back in the 1800s wrote this, describing these people. He said they've moved beyond the pain. So they're not even hurt anymore by the effects of evil. It's just part of who they are. They're this, they've lived in the sin and evil and destruction. And it gets worse and worse. It says the promiscuity does not satisfy because they desire for it more and more and more. It's like it creates this inner monster that is never, ever satisfied. Now, not all people who are, live apart from God will ever get to that level of evil. However, some do. And even if you don't get down, even if a person doesn't get down to that level of this spiral and this evil, the spiral itself is still a very, very accurate picture of what we would call the culture of our world or the way of the world apart from Jesus Christ. I mean, it's this world that is hardened and dark and reckless. Apart from God in this world, the world doesn't make sense. And you begin to, when people live in that place apart from him, they begin to do things and act in ways that are contrary to all that God is. There's a bar that's just west of here, and um, I once heard a story about this place that kind of talks about this spiral in a way. And it's a picture of that last rung because uh, in Wood County and Portage County, there was this recovery group from alcoholism. And they would meet, and it was like a 10-week program, and you meet for alcohol recovery. You go through this 10-week program, and at the end of the program, they gave you a coin. And the coin was kind of like a graduation from the program gift to, to remind you. And they often said, take the coin and keep it with your pocket. Put it in your pocket all the time. Never, ever take it out. And when you're tempted, reach in and grab that coin and ask for God's help to, to not go back to the old way, but that, that you were created new to remind you who you are in Christ, to remind your identity. Keep that coin. And there was a bar just west of here that decided it'd be a really great idea that if anyone came in with that coin, they'd get free drinks for the whole night. That's the evil that's out there. It's the epitome of the rung, of the spiral that has gone down to the point where there's no return. Why would someone on earth do something like that? Because they're hardened, they're darkened, they're reckless. And that's where the direction of this is going. Life without Christ. This is the picture he's painting. This is what's coming. It's, it's hard. It's dark. It's dead. And so many of us sometimes, even as Christians, we tend to be pulled back into the old way. And we'd say, we're not even going to go down to the darkest, deepest level of spiral, but we'll stay on the top part a little bit. It becomes like our default when we go through temptation or stress or anger, we tend to go back and put on that old sweatshirt or the corrupt clothing. 
And what Paul is saying is, don't do that. There's a better way. There's a much better garment I want you to wear. I want you to take that garment off and throw it away and leave it. This spiral is how uh, God sees the world apart from Christ. With its lure and its pull, this is God's way. Look at verse 17. It says, therefore, I say this and testify in the Lord, you shall no longer live as the Gentiles live. Notice it says, I say this and testify in the Lord. You know what that means? That means everything after that verse, everything after I testify in the Lord, is not the apostles Paul's ideas. These are Jesus' ideas. This is what God thinks of the world apart from him. This is what God thinks of the world system living in contrary to him. This is what Jesus, this is how he views the world apart from his rule and his reign. And as Christians, as followers of Jesus, we must see this as reality. This must be the biblical vision for our life and the biblical vision for those who are living apart from Jesus Christ. If not... If we don't understand that and embrace that as the contrast to living with God, then what happens, and if we don't understand that we're pulled into that, what happens is all of a sudden we falsely rationalize the need for a Savior. Because we don't need to be saved because we're not that bad. And we need to keep this view of life so that we understand why Jesus had to come to the earth and go to a cross and save us. Paul tells us there's a better way, and he says, in the cross of Jesus Christ, because of what God did, you have an amazing opportunity. You have a wardrobe change before you. And he implores us to leave behind the old way of life and take up that which is new. He has new clothing he wants to give us. He wants to give us the clothing of Christ Jesus in verses 20 to 25. Let's take a look. He has this huge shift. He goes from the downward spiral, and now he says in verse 20, but that is not how you came to know Christ. Here's the shift. Assuming you heard about him and were taught by him as the truth is in Jesus. Paul gives us the better way. The church of Ephesus was taught that exact opposite of the world spiral. They were taught the Jesus way. They were taught the Jesus way, and Jesus was the subject, he was the teacher, and he was the way of life. And I want to look at that. In verse 20, it says, but that is not how you came to know Christ. Literally, it should say, that is not how you learn Jesus. This wasn't just a knowledge about him, though. It was a knowing that is part of life. It was a part of taking on Jesus and putting it upon yourself and living out who he was, living out his ethic, living out his way of life, living out his pattern of life. That's what he's getting at here. That's what it means when he says, but that is not how you came to know Christ. Then he says, assuming you heard about him and were taught by him. Now, we need to talk about that a little bit because in the original language, it's somewhat different. See, Jesus was their teacher. And it says, assuming you were taught by him. He's not saying, so there's some here who weren't. What he means by that is kind of a, surely you were taught by him, right? I mean, assuming you learned. That's what Paul's doing there. 
He's talking to people who've given their life to Christ. He's not calling it into question. He's kind of tongue-in-cheeking and putting it in front of their face saying, if you gave yourself to Christ, this is how you should live. There should be a difference between here and here. And see, sometimes when we flirt with the old way of life as a Christian, we get confused and we think that Christianity is just something that we make this decision, but then we live however we want and we're still covered. And Paul says there's nothing further from the truth. Also, when it says, assuming you heard about him, that word about is not in the original language. It would really read, assuming you heard him and were taught by him. Now, it raises a question. Does that mean the people in this church of Ephesus, was Jesus in front of them? Did, did they actually get taught by Jesus before he went to the cross and was resurrected? Probably not. So what is Paul meaning here? He's meaning something that's amazing. He means something that's a huge promise for you and me and us at Crossview Church. What he means is that every time this word is opened up and taught, and it's taught accurately, and every time the gospel is presented, it's as if Jesus is teaching it. It's as if Jesus is there among you, going up and down the aisles, pointing out the truth, See, when you come here on Sunday morning and we open up God's word, whoever it is that's opening up this word and is teaching it the way it should be taught, it's like Christ himself is walking among you, instructing, guiding, leading, pointing, taking where you are currently and saying, here's where I want you to lift your eyes. Here's where I want you to go. It's living and active, Jesus teaching us his word. You see how powerful it is? He's the subject, he's the teacher, he's also the culture and the way of life. What is he doing as he's walking among us and teaching? Look at the end of verse 21. As taught by him as the truth is in Jesus. He's bringing you into the way, the subject, the teacher, the culture, all that stuff. And what are the results of this amazing godly instruction? In other words, how do we take off the old clothing and put on the clothing of Christ. How do we do that? He lays it out, and I love verses 22 to 24, because it's like the instruction guide of how to live as a Christian. It's laid out so incredibly clear. And he starts off by saying the first thing that we do, verse 22, is to take off your former way of life, the old self that is corrupted by deceitful desires. You leave the life of sin. You leave the life of death. You leave the hint of the spiral that pulls you down. This is something we do daily. Experience in the Bible tells us it's not like you become a Christian, you place your faith in Christ, you repent, and then you never ever have to turn back into the old way of life again. It'd be nice if it was that way, but it's not. This is a daily practice for Christians. If you are a Christian, you are engaged in a battle every single day to leave the old way of life. You are in a battle. And every day you have to put off the old way. And if I went through and said, what are the sweaters in your life that you pull out that pull you back and try to clothe you in the old way? What are the sweaters you have to run from? You would be able to tell me. This is the stuff that pulls me into the old way. This is what pulls me there. And Paul is saying, as a Christian, 
Every day you have to battle that. You have to shed that. Well, how do we do it? Well, he continues to tell us that, how we do it. This is how we battle every day. The second thing is that we are renewed by the spirit of our minds. Look at verse 22. Take off the former way of life. The old self is corrupted by deceitful desires. Now 23. To be renewed in the spirit of your mind. We cannot put on the clothing of Christ Jesus unless our way of thinking is changed. We cannot put on the clothing of Christ Jesus unless our way of thinking is renewed. Many want to follow Jesus and still keep doing whatever they want to do. They're going to think what they want to think. They're going to live how they want to live. Paul's saying that's not a follower of Jesus at all. If you want to follow Jesus Christ, your way of thinking has to be surrendered to him. It means giving up the things you hold dear in terms of who rules your life. In Romans 12, 2, it says, Do not be conformed to this age, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. How are you renewed in your mind? How are you transformed? How does a person do that? You need to do two things. You need two things. First of all, you need a Bible. The Bible washes our mind. And this is, when you dive into this, it's like Jesus is teaching you his way. And so you open up the scripture. You need something else, too. You have the Bible to be renewed in your mind, but then you also need to interact with the Holy Spirit. You need to interact with God as you're reading the Bible. This is what it looks like. Let's say I opened my Bible, and I'm going through my times of regular systematic reading of God's Word, and I come to Ephesians 4, 22, and I read... To take off your former way of life, the old self that is corrupted by deceitful desires, to be renewed in the spirit of your mind. I just stop there and I say, God, I am so drawn to the old way of life. There's this and there's that and it pulls me across. It makes me, I do those things that I don't want to do and I want to live for you. Will you help me? Will you give me the power to say no to those things? And then I continue to read. To be renewed in the spirit of your mind. God, I want to be renewed in my mind. Will you help me to be renewed? Will you create a new inner person inside of my life? You see, you interact with God as you read. You don't just read, put it on the shelf, and walk away. You read as you read. You interact with him. That's the renewing of your mind that you're going to, be need, you're going to need to live the Christian life. I remember when I was in Desert Storm, in, in the battle. And one of the things I remembered is there's nothing that encouraged us and empowered us like a letter from home. When we received a love letter from home, and some of you have been in that spot, you know what I'm talking about. It was like a whole new outlook of life. Well, Christians, this is our love letter from home. This is, when we dig into this, when we read into this, it should remind us and fill our hearts about what is to come that this isn't the be-all, end-all, and we're, this isn't what we sell our soul for, this t- earth and this worldly life. Our heart is in a different place. Our vision is set higher. Our vision is set on eternity where we will live and be with God forever and ever as we give our lives to him. And in this interaction of renewing your mind, you are training and reminding your heart of what you were really made for, and that's life with Christ. Finally, 
You put off the old way. You're renewed in the spirit and mind. And then verse 24 says this, And to put on the new self, the one created according to God's likeness in righteousness and purity of the truth. The fact is this. Everyone who's given their life to Jesus Christ, if you've gone before him and say, I, I repent, I invite you in, I, want, I place my trust in you, you have this new birth within you. You have this new life within you. Every single human being is born into the old life, the old corrupt clothing. Every baby born is born into the corrupt ways of life because of what happened in the Garden of Eden when Adam and Eve sinned. We are all pulled into that spiral. It's almost like it pulls us down. And then when you give your life to Jesus Christ, you are born again. There's a newness of life that comes because of what God did. And you didn't create this newness of life. It is there. And it's a gift from God because of Jesus Christ. Our task is not to create the new self. Our task is to embrace the new self within us that God gave us. We are to embody this. That's why Paul uses the analogy of clothing. We are to put this on daily. It's something that we already have in our possession. So when you lose your temper and you go off in a fit of rage, if we look at this pattern that he lays out of putting off the, new, the old, renewing our mind, putting on the new, if we look at that pattern, when you blow it and you have a fit of rage and you just launch off into this, it's not enough just to repent and say, God, forgive me for my anger. You don't stop there. Then you move into renewal and you say, God, I want to take on love. Would you help me to leave that old pattern behind? Would you create in me the person you want me to be and help me to embrace love and patience and strength to walk away from that? See, that's the walk of the Christian. Paul gives us a strategy here of how to live out the Christian life. And he uses this clothing analogy. And he says, this is what every Christian must do. You must put off the old wardrobe. You must leave the corrupt clothing of the world that you used to walk in. Second, you're to renew your mind by reading God's word, interacting with him. And thirdly, you walk in the way of Jesus. You develop a biblical mind, a biblical life, and you clothe yourselves in Christ. And the key factor in motivating this whole progression is what we talked about last week, that we're loved by God. And we're not just loved a little. We're loved high, long, wide, and deep. And because God loves us in that way, because he saw us in our old way of life, stuck, trapped, unable to get out in our own strength, he didn't just blow us off and condemn us to hell, though he had every right to do that. He entered down into the depths of our sin, met us there, and brought us to a new place, went to a cross, and on the cross he took our sin and took our place when we should have stood before God and received 
punishment and wrath for what we did, Jesus stood there for us and took it in our place. And when you realize what happened in that transaction, and you realize the love and the grace and the mercy that was applied, it causes you then to live this life of worshipful obedience where you put on the new identity of who you are, and you bring on the new identity of what Jesus gave you as a gift in that act of going to the cross, and you live the way God wants you to live. Why? Because of your great self-discipline you have? No, because you're so in love with God because your heart has been turned when you realize what he has done for you in this place that you were standing in darkness, standing before a holy God, about ready to receive eternal conscious punishment, and God stepped in and did something and died for you that you may go to heaven and be over here in this amazing place of love and grace and mercy and life forever with him. And when you grab that, it changes everything. It's a story of transformation. You know, when we began Crossview Church, if there was a prayer that I prayed a ton, and if there was a prayer that people of this church prayed a ton, if there was a prayer that the people who started this whole thing that was once Woodlands Church and then became Crossview prayed a ton, it was that we would hear and see and have before us radical stories of transformation. That we would see stories of lives that were completely turned around because of the amazing work God did. And what Paul is calling us to do is to understand that story and not go back but live in the work and the story that God gave us. And one of my favorite things about my job is that I regularly come in contact with stories of transformation here at Crossview Church. And what I want to do this morning to end this sermon is to let you hear about one of those stories. And so I'm going to invite my friend Jason to come up. Jason has one of these stories and it's amazing to me, and I love hearing it, and I know you are too. And so, Jason, why don't you come on up at this time, and we're going to end our service just by hearing the amazing story of what God did. This is my friend Jason. And he's a little nervous. I just picked him out of the crowd today and just said, come on up and tell your story. Who's next? Anyone next? No, that's not true. Jason, um, what was your life like before you came to Crossview Church? Uh, well, my life was um, basically summed up as being a miserable existence. Um, I felt that I was about as far away from God as I possibly could be. I, I spent a better part of 20 years practicing my alcoholism. Um, alcohol was king in my life. It, it ruled everything I did. I, um, you know, occasionally would, would pray to God. I like to call them foxhole prayers. I'd, if I was in trouble, I'd pray, I'd, you know, if he could get me out of this mess, uh, you know, I promise I'll do better. You know, it was those sorts of prayers. Very selfish ones. Um, yeah, it was, like Dan talked about that spiral, I was in it. I lost a very good job. I, 
I destroyed two marriages because of it. I um, multiple times I had been arrested because of my drinking. I destroyed my relationships with my children. Um, with my parents, my siblings, um, the people who loved me the most, I hurt the worst. And yet I still wasn't changing my ways. Um, yeah, so to sum it up, it was pretty horrible. So in your own words, how did you begin a personal relationship with Jesus Christ? What was the tipping point of that? Um, for me, it was, I pretty much found him in my darkest hour. I had, again, been arrested. I, um, unfortunately, this time it was in front of my children. They saw me cuffed and thrown in the back of a squad car again. Um, I remember coming to in the holding cell, which is basically a closet with a cot, a toilet, and a sink, and sitting up on the edge of that and basically surrendering. Um, I couldn't live that way anymore. For the first time, I think I was finally honest with him, and, um, you know, I just, like I said, I had just been beaten down so bad. And so go fast forward a little bit. I had, um, well, toward the end of my drinking, I had essentially isolated myself from everyone. And, but I remember in my past, I had met someone who had attended church here. And I had just kind of shot her a message and I said, hey, do you still go to that, that Woodlands church? And she's like, no. I was like, shoot. And she's like, it's now Crossview. So I got filled in on that whole story. And I said, well, I'm thinking about checking it out. You know, are you going to be there this Sunday? And she said, no, I'm actually going to be out of town. And I thought, well, there's my out. I don't have to go now. And for whatever reason, that Sunday morning, I decided to get up, get dressed. And I did drive myself here. And I don't know why. I... But for some reason, I just felt this need that I needed, needed to go. And I came in, walked in the front door after sitting in the parking lot for a while, too nervous and ashamed to. And I came in, walked up to one of the greeters and said, I'm new here. I don't know where I'm going. And she was kind enough to walk me down here. And of course, I was greeted by an usher. And I came in, and I remember... Um, Coming in, and I sat way back in that corner, and I thought, you know, this would be a good way for me to, to sneak out of here if I need to, you know. Um, and I got to the first song in the worship, and a little bit into the second one, and I had just lost it. I, and we're not talking a tear down the cheek, I was bawling like a, a four-year-old who just lost his mom in the grocery store. <laughs> Um, and as broken and as ashamed as I felt, I, I don't know how to explain it, but I felt this comfort, like I was where I needed to be, and it, it felt like I was 
for the first time in a very long time where I needed to be and like I was doing the right thing and making the right decision. And um, yeah, that was pretty much where my relationship with him started. And what's happened since? Uh, well, it's basically been the opposite of a miserable existence. Um, life has been so good. Um, by his grace, back in August, I've, I celebrated five years of sobriety. Thank you. Um, you know, I've, you know, I'm making better choices now. I'm here on a regular basis. I, you know, I've got a good group of Christian men from here that I meet with on a regular basis. I'm, you know, I, I'm in constant contact with him now. I, um, you know, I've restored so many relationships that I destroyed over the years, you know, with my loved ones. I, um, but I, the most important relationship I've restored is the one I have with Jesus now. Um, you know, and besides doing all those things here, I'm trying to spread hope as well. You know, I've... You know, if you don't see me here on a Sunday, it's because I'm sitting in a jail somewhere. I'm meeting with other alcoholics and other addicts who just need that little glimmer of hope. Like, like you just never know where you'll reach someone. Um, so I'd, I'd like to add, too, I mean, you know, if there's anybody out there that is feeling lost or you're going through this type of situation or a loved one is, there's always, always hope and there's so much power in prayer. Um, I truly believe that, you know, the backing ahead of my, my family um, through them has definitely played a huge part in, in, in my life story. Um, so yeah, I just, my most horrible day now spent with Jesus is way better than my best day when I was drinking. So mm. it's, it's been an amazing life now. So thank That's you. Awesome. That's awesome. Thank you for what God has done in sharing your story with us. As Jason has shared his story, some of you are here and could relate to that story. So that story could be similar to your story. Or some of you here uh, don't have a story like that, but you have a different kind of story. If you were ever away from God, which is all of you, no one is born a Christian, even if you were born in a Christian home, you have to get to a spot where you make it your own faith. And if you are a Christian, you have a story. You have a, here's what I was like before, then I encountered Jesus Christ, and here's what, I like af here's what I'm like after. And everybody's story is amazing and awesome. And you know why it's amazing and awesome? Because your story and Jason's story and my story isn't really our story. It's God's story. Because God came and met us in that place, and he's the one that encountered us and, and opened our eyes to see him, and he's the one that empowers us to live. And so to be in a place where we celebrate God's stories is an amazing, amazing thing. And so we're going to continue to pray that this is a place where we constantly hear that God's story is a transformation. And as we do, we are empowered to embrace Christ all the more stronger and we, that we can live for him. 
I'm going to pray for us, and then the worship team's going to come up, and we're going to worship before we leave this, uh, this morning again. So please bow your heads with me as I pray. Father in heaven, I thank you that not only do we hear about you in your word, we see you in each other. And I thank you for the way that we are able to get a glimpse this morning and see you in the life of my dear friend and brother Jason. I thank you that you met him there, you encountered him, you transformed him. And God, I thank you that that is an act that is repeated throughout this building, that you've met so many of us in the places that we have been so far from you and you brought us close. And God, there are probably some here now who don't even understand this thing called relationship with Jesus and what are you talking about? And they have no idea. God, will you open their eyes to see how amazing you are? And will you continue as long as there is breath in our lungs, as long as we have this place, we ask God that by the power of your spirit, Crossview Church would be a place where you come and you create transformational story after transformational story after transformational story. Will you enter the community of Wisconsin Rapids and begin to move right now upon people who are stories in progress, marked by the grace of God. They may have no idea that they're going to be sitting in a place like this at some point, maybe a a week from now, a month from now, a year from now, or five years from now, but you do, God. So would you move upon those people we ask? And God, I ask that you would take the rest of us that have made this decision, and will you protect us from wandering into the old ways, but that we would understand who you are and what you've done, and in doing so, be released in a life of worship, in a life of obedience, in a life of mission to call others to this amazing love that we are not just loved, but we are loved high, long, wide, and deep. And let us live in that place. For your name and your glory we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Please stand.